0: I'm beginning to think. Yes, I'm beginning to think. become me. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent.
1: Join her here each week on The Cost of Not Paying Attention. As we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention.
0: Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner Holman. What am I? Paying attention to today, the concept of psychological safety. So, this is an idea that was created by Amy Edmondson, who is a professor at Harvard University. And you may have heard me talk about it before. Really, the idea in a nutshell is the belief that we will not be punished or humiliated or. Have anything else negative happened to us when we speak up with ideas or questions or concerns or even raise mistakes, either that we did or that we are concerned about that the organization might be making a mistake? And I'm thinking about this at the moment because I am working with a new client, which is awesome. And it's a family-owned business. And the father, who's the owner, was originally the grandfather. Now it's the father. And the son, who there are actually a couple of different sons and a daughter and a couple of cousins of nephews of the dad who are involved in running the business, which is wonderful. And they called me the other day because they had had an opportunity come up and they weren't sure that it was the right thing to do. They thought it might be a mistake and they wanted to run it by somebody who they trusted, which just tickled me pink because I've only been working with this client for about a month. Granted, I've known the dad for maybe 10 years. So we already had a relationship going into this. But what I loved about it was here is a man and his son who have created a culture between the two of them and within their organization that when something comes up, It's actually a good idea to look to other people and check it out. Like, hey, what do you think about this? This opportunity came up and I have a funny feeling about it. I feel like it may not be the right thing for us to do. And in the end, we decided that the best thing for them to do would be to pass on this. It just didn't feel right to any of us. And that what they wanted to do was to call somebody And check in, like phone a friend. They wanted to see, is this, does this seem like a good idea? Should we go down this road? And I think the more that we lean into asking those kinds of questions of ourselves, of our colleagues, of the organization, the stronger we are, which leads me right into my guest for today. Derek Bunga works with professionals and organizations to help them be seen, heard, and remembered for the right reasons. Isn't that brilliant, y'all? To be seen, heard, and remembered for the right reasons. How often are we remembered for the things we might prefer somebody to forget? So he works with organizations and professionals to have them be seen, heard, and remembered for the right reasons. He is joining us today from Nairobi, Kenya. Most of his clients are in East Africa, and he has clients from all over the world. He and I met and got connected through the Global Chamber. And if you're not familiar with them, I would definitely encourage you to check them out. And he is one of the leaders of the global chamber in Africa. And when I started hearing him talk, I thought Derek and I are on exactly the same wavelength. And then in our conversations, it just became more and more clear that that was true. Welcome, Derek.
1: Thank you so much, Janine. I am absolutely thrilled to be with you today. And thank you for that wonderful story that you shared with us at the beginning of this podcast about psychological safety. I can't wait to get stuck in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. And I need to let people know, among other things, you are so dedicated to both your work and being a great partner with people, including me. It is 4 a.m there as we are recording. It is 4 a.m. in Africa. It is 6.06 p.m. here in Southern California. And I extra appreciate you being up at this crazy time of the morning to have this conversation with us.
1: Yes. Rob- so- I took Robin Sharma's advice. Robin Sharma talks about the 5 a.m. club. And generally, people who start their days earlier tend to be a little bit more productive, maybe successful. And I've just taken the extreme version of it. I am a morning person, Janine. Uh, <laughs> so this is absolutely my time of the day.
0: <laughs> That's great. And part of what's wonderful, I think, about getting going early in the morning is that we get to get our day started when things are still quiet in the world. And I don't know about you, but I often think better. I'm often more creative when I am in that space of quiet and solitude and a little more reflective. Do you have that same experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Janine, I am big on routines. I am big on habits. I am big, for example, on starting your day right. I believe everything flows from there. And for me, getting up early allows me to put into place some of these morning routines and habits that hopefully set me up for success for the rest of the day. And I get it. There are some people whose mornings perhaps don't allow for that. But I'm fortunate enough to be in that position where I can get up and I can do a little bit of my meditation. I can do my morning affirmations. I start with my first win of the day, making my bed, for example. Even if everything goes downhill, I almost come back home and look at that bed and say, well, there was one thing that went right. Time for a little bit of exercise and all of the things that I think as professionals, particularly in this world that we live in, with all of this flux and all of this change and everything that has taken place, particularly over the last few years, where we need to begin establishing things that help us be more productive and be more successful. So yeah, mornings work for me, for sure.
0: I love that. And if mornings work for you, then embrace Derek's habit. And if they don't, find new habits that will help create that sense of both accomplishment and set you up for success. As you were pointing to, Derek, we're certainly in one of the most One of the periods of time that is characterized by change more than maybe any other. There are so many things that are uncertain, from the pandemic to the economy, big things that are outside of our control. And as I know that you know, human beings, we hate uncertainty. Our brain is wired to go to things that are certain and to stay away from things that are uncertain. It's the reason that I will pick a fight with my husband just to get to certainty, even if the result is not what I want. My brain impels me to find certainty. And so the more we can create habits and routines in our day, it creates that feeling of certainty
1: and you can even rewire the brain sometimes because we've all picked up maybe poor habits. And there are things that we can start doing to sort of rewire the brain so that, as you said, he's looking for this particular route to certainty. So yeah, I agree with you.
0: I love it. So even though we've been talking for several minutes, I'm gonna ask you the question that I often ask at the beginning of the podcast, Which is, Derek, tell me something that you've become aware of that people are not paying attention to, either consciously or unconsciously, and what is the cost of that inattention?
1: Well, I prepared myself for this question, so (laughs) the one thing that I have noticed that people are not paying attention to, and actually this happened... Last week, a session with a client, and we were talking about this, and this is the art of listening. Listening you know, I always say, God gave us two ears and one mouth, and they should be used in the right proportion. Now listen, I listen. <laughs> I have a lot to say. I tend to think that I am marginally more interesting than other people, and I have a lot to say and a lot to share. So I sometimes have to use my own advice. When I talk about listening, it's about a deeper listening. A lot of times, as we are listening to somebody speak, we're having this conversation, you and I, Janine, and we're already preparing the answers even before the person has finished. And it's involving the entire body, all right? So it, physically, if we're back together again, it's your body language. You turn your body towards a person Your feet generally should be facing the particular person, your angle towards the person, your eyes are looking at them and you're listening with your entire being. It's not just a question of the words coming out and we listen to them with our ears. So using your entire body to, and in the moment, make that person feel like they're the most important person in the world, that they are the most exciting. It really is something that can be a game changer in terms of how we interact, with people in this world. So better listening. And then listen without judgment, suspend judgment, no matter what the person says that you may agree or disagree with. Listen without judgment, suspend that for a minute, take in what they're saying, take a a little bit of a while to sort of understand where they're coming from, and then sort of give your feedback or response. So that's something that I have noticed in other people, but I'm also trying to put into practice myself.
0: I love that. And I love your phrase, deeper listening. I think that this is such a great thing to be focusing on both with ourselves and in relationship to other people. I completely agree. We do as humans in general, I saw an article that said that when people think they are listening, like 90% of the time, they are actually doing something else. So just like you said, they may be formulating their own thought in their own brain. And when we are thinking we are no longer listening, our brain is actually not able to do two things at the same time. We think we can, but we cannot.
1: Oh, no, multitasking is a myth. There you go, right? It
0: is totally a myth. Yes. And we've all bought into it. We think I can listen to you and I can type on my computer and I can look at something on my phone. I can do all of these things and still be paying attention to you and what you're saying. And we are physically incapable of it. We need to knock it off because we cannot do it. And what we're doing is just switching very quickly. And so if 90% of the time, when we think we're listening, we're doing something else, think about what the possibility is for both hearing more for deeper listening, and for what you are also really pointing to, that connection with other people. And when people feel listened to in the way that you're describing, so my body is pointed towards you, my feet are pointed towards you, my attention is with you, I'm looking you in the eyes, that level of attention is one of the key things that has people feel like they belong. It has people feel connected to you. And as we are in this phase of so many people leaving their jobs, so many people quitting their jobs, what's in the U.S. being called the great resignation, having people feel connected and listened to in that way is something that is just like a magnet. It's going to keep people with you, with your organization, because they are going to feel that level of belonging and intentionality and that you really care about them and what they have to say.
1: I love what you say about intentionality, because it's something, particularly in this world we live in, where the distractions are infinite. I mean, forget about the distractions in a virtual meeting (laughs) and just being able to make that little bit of a change or distraction kind of separates you from everybody else and makes such a difference that people will notice it. They will feel that connection and it's about relationships and we can have a whole conversation about how we've lost that really connecting with people, forming deeper relationships And so if you can just begin to be a little bit more intentional with how you listen to people, then you can make a difference, particularly, as you said, in this world where there is so much going on.
0: I absolutely agree. And I am just at the beginning of a new habit on meditation in the evening before I go to sleep as part of my new nighttime routine. And so I was listening to somebody who's helping guide me through this because I believe in every new practice we take on best to always have a guide, a coach, a cheerleader, somebody to help paint the way for you. And meditation has never been my strong suit. It's always something (laughs) that uh, that I struggle with. And the meditation that I was listening to last night the woman who was leading it had this great distinction. And she said, this idea that we're going to be able to clear our minds is a myth, just like multitasking is a myth. That we can ever truly just clear our minds for an extended period of time is a myth. That's not how our minds work. Thoughts will come in. And she said, the more that we can think about a thought as a wave... It's just, it's a wave that comes in and just like the ocean, it will then recede. And the trick is with meditation, the longer that you can have between the wave sets as surfers call them, the more peace you will enjoy. So the longer you can have between the thoughts is really what the trick is. And so I think when we're practicing anything new, Many humans, me included, have a tendency to, well, I didn't do it right. So I must stink at this and forget it. I'm not going to do it anymore. And with a practice like deeper listening, that is something where, just like with meditation, you're not going to be very good at it the first time you try. And you're going to try and focus, and then you're going to have thoughts that come in, and then you're going to refocus, and then thoughts are going to come in. But that's just the way that it goes.
1: Because I think you and I are cut from the same cloth. Meditation doesn't come easy to me either. And I tend to look at it almost like you're in the gym and you're building a muscle. So the thought comes in, you recognize it. And by the way, don't beat yourself up. And then you just sort of let it peter out or go. And then you bring your sort of your mind back to the attention. It could be a guided practice or whatever you're paying attention to in the room. And then the thought might flit in again. And again, it's just that practice of being able to begin to focus and make yourself present in the moment without being judgmental about those thoughts that are coming in and coming out. And then, like any practice, hopefully you do get um, better at it. (laughs) So there you go.
0: Right. I was talking with a client earlier today who has a son who's now about four, and his daughter is 10 months old. And he was telling me that he got a call from his wife that today his daughter stood up all by herself. She didn't pull herself up. She didn't use something. She just stood up all by herself for the very first time. And part of what was great about that, I mean, obviously, as a dad, he's thrilled that his child is doing this. As a working father, he's sad that he's not there to see it when it happens. And that's how we are in life. Even I'm 57 now, when I learn something new, it's like standing up for that first time. And she probably stood up for a few seconds and then she sat back down or she fell down or however that works. And when we're little, We know that it just takes a while. It takes perseverance to get good at these things. And as we grow and we develop and we age and we mature, we tend to have this idea that we should be able to pick something up quickly and just immediately be great at it. And that's nonsense. And so we have an opportunity to remember that growth that we did when we were very little and that it takes a while to learn something new.
1: I have an acronym that I use for growth called the cash formula for growth. Now it's cash with a K. So the K stands for knowledge. So you're acquiring the knowledge of this new habit or this new routine. And again, you try to spread the net as far as possible. So it's a new practice like meditation or something new that you want to bring in to your teams. Okay. You're gathering the knowledge, you bring in the knowledge. And then the A stands for attitude. So a lot of times it's about reframing your attitude towards perhaps this new practice or the attitude that you have in relationship to other people or your teams or how you approach different Issues. Obviously, attitude starts within, and there's a thousand cliches for all of that. (laughs) Positive mental attitude, attitude of gratitude, and so on and so forth. And then, yes, is for skill. So now it becomes a skill because you're beginning to do it on a regular basis. And just like any skill, you need to put in the 10,000 hours. Malcolm Gladwell talks about that. And the skill. As you begin to practice it and becomes part of who you are, becomes the H, which is now a habit. So I use that little formula sometimes when I'm either speaking with clients or even in my case, trying to incorporate something new.
0: I love that. I wrote it down. I think that's great. And it reminds me, I have a mentor whose name is Alison Armstrong. And when she teaches, she always encourages people to take 10. And she doesn't mean... Take 10 minutes. She means take 10 years to think you're going to be good at this, that you're really going to have mastery of this. Because really, what she teaches people about is partnering and really the skill and the science of partnering well with other people. And her frame, which I share, is The reality is that anything big that we're up to in life, we probably cannot achieve it on our own. We need other people to help us. And so then we have the opportunity to partner with people. And even though human beings are herd animals, we do best in a tribe, in a group, in a team, We also have the survival of the fittest strive in us. We want to individually perform. We want to individually shine. And so there are things inherent in humans that have us not set ourselves up well to partner with other people. And part of it is exactly where we started this conversation it's around listening and how much. We make up stories. So you say to me, well, the important thing is cash and knowledge and attitude and skill and habit. And the story that I have about myself is I don't do well with building habits. I have some sloppy habits. Everybody's got some sloppy habits and I'm probably no worse and no better than anybody else. But I could make a story up That says, "Uh oh, Derek is a mind reader and Derek knows that I am bad at habits and he's bringing this up to show me up because he knows that I'm bad at habits. Like that's what we do. We make up human beings are meaning making machines and we make up these stories in our head. And then where we get into trouble is then we live into that story as though it's true. So of course, A, you're not a mind reader. B, you're a lovely and gracious human who would never bring something up in order to try and show me up. That's a ridiculous idea that my brain could make that up. And because I have this story about myself, because I have this feeling of inadequacy about myself, could, my brain could very easily make up this story. And then I would have an attitude, not a good attitude. I would have an attitude about you if I then lived into that story that my silly brain made up. And that's so much of how we get into mischief and trouble in life. And if instead we can be with each other. And the reality is you and I are on other sides of the world. We never would have met except I saw you presenting at the global chamber and I had this good feeling about you. I thought, ooh, this man is interesting and he's speaking in a language that resonates with me. And so I reached out to you through LinkedIn and we had a conversation and now here we are. And the more that we talk, it's like, oh my goodness. So you are a black African man. I am a white American woman. And yet in so many ways, we have so many points of connection and similarity and seeing the world in a similar way and things that intrigue you, intrigue me. And so this idea That we are all so different and so separate one from the other, I think is something that we would do so well (laughs) if we could to just let go of that idea. And if not, to raise up the idea that we are all so much more alike than we are different.
1: Well, it's our common humanity, Janine. And I'm so glad we were able to connect like this and the fact that we share all of these sort of ideas, I think our values, the way we look at the world. I just want to pick up a little bit, you're talking about the stories that we say to ourselves. There's something that I talk about a little bit about self-awareness. Self-awareness involves being aware of your strengths and your weaknesses and what makes you tick and what your triggers are and all of that. And if I'm aware this is what triggers me, or maybe I have a particular weakness in this area when it comes to dealing with this particular person or this particular situation, then I can begin to prepare myself, if you will, for how to deal with that particular trigger. You know, here in our country, Kenya, we have these wonderful public transportation vehicles called matatus. So they're like minivans and they're wonderfully painted and colored and they scoot up and down the streets of Nairobi, very often skirting the, the rules of the road in a rush to pick up passengers. When I'm driving in my vehicle and one of these mini buses sort of cross my path, so maybe they've jumped a traffic light or they've slammed on the brakes right in front of me. And I remember I used to get so worked up and sometimes you'd roll down the window and say something not so nice to the driver of that minivan. And then I realized that actually what I needed to do, and this was the beginning of my self-awareness, is perhaps bring in, and I think we talked about this in a previous conversation, is begin to empathize with that particular driver of this minivan, Matatu driver as well. we call them. And that empathy could take anything from my, reframing the story. So saying, well, okay, maybe this driver, he woke up and he's in a hurry to get passengers because he needs to make enough money so that he can feed his family. And then that feeling of being angry or annoyed with this person because they cut me off in traffic begins to dissipate. And actually the reverse is true. I'm now like, all right, you know what, you're in a bit of a hurry. <laughs> Clearly, you need to get to where you're going quicker than I do. So go ahead. And that actually makes me feel better. So again, that to me was self-awareness is the gateway to beginning to be a little bit more emotionally intelligent. You talked about psychological safety and that's where it all begins. A little bit of this self-awareness, a little bit of being able to sit with yourself and figure out what makes you tick and what are the things that you can do given your own personal makeup, personality-wise and other things, that can help you be a more useful contributor in this wonderful place that we call Earth.
0: I love everything that you just said. And I love the second to last thing that you just said, a more useful contributor. That's such a wonderful turn of phrase. And I think that we all get wrapped up in our own stuff. We are all the star of our own show that is happening in the world, as we should be. If somebody else is the star of my show, that's a whole different problem. I should be the star of my own show. And my own show is no more important than your own show. And the more that I could have the idea of being a useful participant in the whole play, not just in my show, but in the whole play that humanity is creating. I love that idea. There's something really wonderful about that. Thank you.
1: Yeah, Shakespeare said, the whole world is a stage and all men and women are merely actors. You come in, you deliver your lives. You exit the stage and left. So, yeah, it's about being, I think, as you said, a useful participant.
0: So, I want to go back to this idea of self awareness as the beginning of psychological safety, as the beginning of emotional intelligence. Of course, I am on exactly the same page as you. I actually had the opportunity recently to write a chapter for a book on leadership. And that was one of the things. That I wrote about is a sort of conscious leadership and how do we become conscious leaders? And one of my things was around developing self awareness. And I want to connect it to where we started, which was the listening, because I believe that the two are intimately connected. When I learn to listen better to you, I also learn to listen better to me. So I want to probe you around what else do you think? are key things if someone is listening to this and feeling like, and let me tell you people, so it was some prestigious university. It was maybe Harvard, it was maybe MIT or Stanford or someplace like that. They did a study around self-awareness because most people, if you ask them, hey, Derek, are you a self-aware person? Most people by default would say, yes, I'm a very self-aware person. Here's the reality. 10 to 15% of us are actually very self-aware. So the reality is probably neither you or I or any of our listeners are in that top 10 to 15%. What I love about that is not like you're not great at it, but that we always have room to grow in this area of self-awareness. And so if someone is out there listening and thinking, huh, that's interesting. Okay, so how can I become more self-aware? What thoughts do you have in your great big brain about that?
1: Well, I think for me, it's about being aware, okay, of how your feelings, how you feel in the given moment, at the given time, during that particular situation. The impact that your feelings can have on your, on decisions, on performance, on behavior. People who are more self aware begin to sort of, are better equipped, I think, to manage this influence effectively. We are present with the role that our feeling, that particular feeling is doing to us in the moment. And those feelings can be healthy or those feelings can be strong. Let me put that that way. A strong feeling. So, the way that I felt in the moment when I was cut off in traffic by the minivan, beginning to be aware that I was feeling irritated or angry or annoyed and feeling that really strong emotion. And then beginning to do something to sort of be aware that that might affect even the way that I'm driving or how I'm responding to somebody else in the car. And maybe beginning to take ownership of that and saying, all right, well, let me take a deep breath. Let me take 10 seconds to sort of let that feeling dissipate and then perhaps respond differently than before. So it's about being present rather than being disconnected. I think that is something that all of us can begin to do and just be aware of how you're feeling. When I talk with my clients to ask them to regularly during the day, check in with how you're feeling, you know, and doing it on a regular basis, you know, it could be every hour or or at lunchtime, or at least once a day, perhaps so when you wake up in the morning, is there some residual event, a residual impact of some event that happened yesterday and you wake up in the morning on the wrong side of the bed or all of a sudden your mood falls off the cliff and you're like, okay, what happened? Take a second, begin to sort of investigate. Why am I feeling this way? How do I want to feel? What can I do to get there? So I think those are some of the things that we can begin to do.
0: I think that that's wonderful. And I love it that you are talking about feelings in the context of work. It used to be that people had this silly idea that we were one person at work and we were a different person at home. And that mostly the person who was at work didn't have feelings. (laughs) I love it that you just laughed because it's a ridiculous idea. Human beings I think we sort of want to think that human beings are thinking machines that sometimes feel, and the reality is that we are feeling machines that sometimes think, and we are much more driven by our feelings, even if it's just a basic feeling of moving towards something or moving away from something. Am I drawn in? Or am I going to pull back? That's the most basic instinct that we have. Is there something about you that I like or something about you that makes me concerned or puts me off or has me hesitate? And we have that feeling all the time. When we first wake up in the morning, we are drawn towards our phone, turning off our alarm clock, petting our cat, putting on our shoes, going for a run, doing whatever that first thing is that we do, we are drawn toward it. We cannot get out of bed without the drawing toward. And so I love it that you are encouraging your clients to check in with how they're feeling in the world of work. When you first started doing that, did people resist? Were people like, okay, that makes sense?
1: Well, just like you said, Janine, I mean, when we start talking about feelings, This is the corporate world we're talking about. This is the boardroom. It's about the facts. It's about technical information. It's about data, feelings. Leave them at the door, for heaven's sake. So (laughs) there's always a little bit of resistance. But being aware of how you're feeling, for example, is, I think, to me, is a must-have skill that you absolutely need to bring in to the boardroom. And particularly with what we're going through, as you said, you cannot leave what happened on the weekend and walk into the office on a Monday morning and all of a sudden switch off those feelings like a robot on automaton. So we've got to become aware, first of all, that these feelings are affecting us consciously or subconsciously. And if we are a little bit more intentional, then it only makes for us to be better leaders or better team members if we're aware of this is what is going on, and this is how I can actually react to it better. Because a lot of times people are just, you don't even know why you spoke that way or why the tone of your voice is that way. You talked about being drawn to things. You know, you've walked into a room before. Maybe there was somebody there or you walked in with a group of people and there is something about the person that you meet in that room that maybe turns you off. Or it could be the reverse, that person walks into a room and people all of a sudden, you know what, we had to go somewhere. Nobody wants to be around that sort of person, you know, <laughs> versus the person who walks in and the room lights up. There's an absolute transfer of that particular emotion, of that particular feeling. I truly believe that there's a transfer of that particular energy. As human beings, our cells, we have billions of cells within us. Each of those cells, if you were to drill down to the, the molecular level of each of those cells, each of those cells is moving and so they're not static and so you have all of this energy and then if you bring in the emotion that you're feeling you can only imagine how much energy you're bringing into a room whether you're bringing positive energy you're bringing in negative energy and that's control and that's why if if you look at the word emotion energy in emotion if you can break it down like that you've got to be really aware of how you are managing That particular emotion that you're bringing into a particular situation or
0: environment. Energy in motion. That's so great. And part of what I love about it is our opportunity to be intentional about the energy that we are bringing into a meeting. I used to have a woman who I worked with who was very challenging for me. And before a meeting, either just the two of us or with other people where she was going to be there. I would both get very centered in myself and think about the energy that I wanted to bring into the meeting. And because she was a negative human, I would also like put an imaginary cloak around myself to protect myself. And so then I would be safe and I could create the energy that I wanted. We are so much more powerful than we think in some ways. And I think that that's one of the ways that we underestimate our own power, the energy that we bring into a room. And then if we bring in positive energy, and then we focus on people and we create that deeper listening that you were talking about in the beginning, that meeting, the trajectory of that meeting is going to be totally different than it would have been if we hadn't been intentional about that to begin with.
1: It's also about being aware of others. I mean, being aware of how they feel, being aware of perceiving and understanding the energy that they're bringing into this particular meeting or this particular encounter. And then you can sort of begin to adjust or anticipate your response, your reaction, adjust your own behavior to sort of, fit in with that particular person. And then we come across as empathetic as opposed to being insensitive in some way.
0: Always better to have people think that we are being empathetic. Absolutely, yes. Well, Derek, this has been a wonderful and rich conversation. Before we close it out for today, is there anything that you were hoping we might talk about that we haven't touched on or anything that you would love to leave our listeners with that we haven't talked about yet? Well, I think
1: maybe just to reiterate some of the things that we talked about, being a little bit more self-aware, bringing an awareness of other people, being a little bit more empathetic. I think one of the things that certainly we can bring to the table in this environment is a little bit more self-management and resilience. I know that's a whole topic for another, but it's about being intentional with these particular skills. And then, Lastly, we're here to inspire other people. I honestly believe as you make your way through this world, and knock on wood, you and I are both still here. But as everybody knows, it's literally here today, gone tomorrow. It's about inspiring other people. It's about sort of leaving that sort of mark on your world where people are able to pick up something from an encounter with you that they can look back on and say, this has positively influenced me. I actually try to do that with every conversation or encounter that I have. As brief as it may be, it could be in a greeting that is over the top cheery, just so that i brighten that person's world and say, yeah, that was, seemed really excited to me. So I think I will leave it on that positive and cheery note.
0: I love that. And part of who you are for me is the personification of grace you bring both a graceful attitude of gratitude, a perspective that the moments that we have together are gifts. It is such a joy to be in your presence. And I so appreciate you sharing your time, especially at this early time of the morning, (laughs) sharing your time and your wisdom and your thoughts with us. I so appreciate you being here with us, Derek.
1: Well, Janine, I have absolutely loved this conversation. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Ah, You are welcome. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman,
1: thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams.